One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories. We create connections between your ears and minds and our guests' songs, memories, and stories. We tap into music's power to viscerally link us to times in our lives in order to bring out the storyteller in us all. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. My guest today is Jeff McCullers. He's not just fifth-generation Florida. He's fifth-generation Estero, which means he must at least be part Koreshian. I mostly kid, or is that even possible? Hmm. Jeff grew up around citrus farming, fishing, construction, and well drilling. I love the fact that his three-sentence bio includes his 10 years as a 4-H club member. He says he wrote two small books on local history while in high school. He's been with the Lee County School District for 34 years as a teacher and administrator. Over the years, he taught English, drama, journalism, stagecraft, and humanities. He's also an amateur poet, photographer, and painter, all three of which he kicks ass at, I'm sure. While I've known Jeff mostly via Facebook for the past decade or so, I knew him by reputation all the way back to my high school years in the late 80s. You see, at the time, Cypress Lake High was starting to get quite the reputation for its theater productions, musical theater in particular. And while I never knew quite where Jeff fit into that scene at the time, all of my friends who were doing theater there spoke of him, he taught at Cypress, like he was a living legend. And years later, now that I've got to know him, they were certainly not joking. As a matter of fact, I believe I've looked forward to this episode with him more than any of these yet. So let's get right to it. Hey there, Jeff McCullers. Well, hello there, Mike Canary. What an intro. Oh, hey, you know, it was easy to write. It's, you know, it's easy when it's true, right? Um, was Astero even a thing five generations ago? Like, when did the name Astero become attached to the geographic region that it, is Astero? It's been Astero for a pretty long time. Okay. Uh, as, as long as anybody I ever knew could remember. Um, Estero Bay was Estero Bay. The little town of Estero was only known by the very few people that actually lived there. So uh, I mentioned, I joked sort of about the Koreshans in the uh, the intro. Um, is there any intersection between your family and that story since you're five generations? If I do the math correctly, there would have been some at least contemporariness. Oh, sure. Right? I, I had, I had some, uh, some cousins who were members and I had other cousins who uh, worked for the Koreshan unity uh, later on, even in my lifetime. So for, uh, for our listeners who may not be from this area, what's like the, the three-cent version of Koreshans? Uh, the, the Koreshans were a, a charismatic sect that moved here from Chicago in the late 1880s or so um, and settled um, here on the Astero River and wanted to build a city of six million people, a kind of utopia. They wanted to build Cape Coral before it was <laughs> Well, they, they gave it a good try too. Uh, you know, I actually have a, a bit of overlap with the Koreshans. Um, you know, Gwen's mom, Sam, uh, owned a house in Fort Myers near um, uh, Allen Park Elementary that we found out uh, by doing some record search that the builder and original owner of the house was the person who edited the Flaming Sword, which was yes, the uh, Koreshian sure, uh, sure. publication. I have a few of those in my house. Oh, really? Yes, I do. Oh, wow. That does not surprise <laughs> me. Okay. So uh, uh, what was the musical background of your childhood? Well, my childhood, I, I learned some songs from my mother. She liked to sing gospel songs and country songs, um, a few rock and roll songs. She was a Buddy Holly fan. Um, my dad was not much of a singer, but he liked to sing a, a couple of Chuck Berry songs to annoy me. And that, he had a lot of fun doing that and occasionally still does. 
Um, we listened to uh, the local country station mostly. Um, uh, that was what was in the house when I was very young. Was then, there any record playing going on? Yes. We always had a, a record player as kids. It was one of the uh, toys we always had. We got children's records. We would get you know different things for Christmas and so on. Um, didn't occur to me though until I started going to school that there might be music I wanted to pursue myself. It just wasn't really an interest or something I even thought about until I started hearing music on the school bus hmm. um, later on and then the adventure started. <laughs> um, was there any uh, uh, musical instruments being played by yourself or anybody in your family around you? Not by me, unfortunately. My brother was a musician. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah. And, and his, both his kids are, but both my children are, but uh, I didn't actually get that bug. Okay. So you, you never have I never been played. A, okay. No. Do you sing? I sing all the time. Oh, yeah? Uh, just not for other people. Okay. Well, that's one of my questions. I was going to get to you later, but we're going to jump right yeah. to it. So what's your favorite song to sing? And parse this out between whether there is someone present or not, or will you just not sing if there's someone present? I'm, I'm just too self-conscious to sing, but I do sing a lot of Willie Nelson, a lot of Elvis Costello, a lot of uh, roots reggae. It's, it's quite a mix. So you probably don't do karaoke then? I have never done karaoke. I've never even seen people do karaoke. Really? Yeah, really. Huh. It's too. It's too risky. <laughs> <laughs> what? Too, you might get sucked. You, in. you might get sucked in, right? Okay. Um, what is the earliest musical memory that you can recall? If you just dig back and see what flashes. The earliest musical memory. It's got to be church. You know, singing in church. They meant well, but they were not singing. Was not their forte, really. So they would even take the happier songs and give them kind of a dreary dirge quality. What, what church would this have this been? This was the Astoria United Methodist Church. Lovely people and beautiful songs. Um, they just needed a little zip sometimes, <laughs> but they were very welcoming of me. But so that would be the earliest that you can think of. That's the earliest. And you I probably weren't in the choir then either. Were I you? was not in the choir. No. <laughs> can you remember the first time that music moved you emotionally? I can remember the first time uh, that I heard the 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 musical Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, I was staying in a friend's house in Fort Myers, and this was. You know, right when it came out, so it's like seventy, seventy-one. I guess I'm nine years old, maybe, and uh, he wanted to listen to it. So his mom put it on the big, you know, the big massive console they had in those days. It was a piece of furniture the size of the living room, and we put it on. We listened to all four sides from beginning to end, and I was knocked out that a story that precise and that moving could be told through song. I, I'd never experienced it. Do you think that was sort of the beginning of your path toward, you know, being involved with musical theater? I, I absolutely believe that, yes. I was struck by that. I and mean, I wanted to listen to it again the same day. And we didn't actually get to do that. But we got to listen to it again the next day. Well, that's a perfect segue, actually, into what was my next question was I wanted to flesh out a little bit about, you know, Cypress Lake High, as I understand it, in the 80s really didn't have much in the way of music or, you know, theater even. And then all of a sudden it became a force of nature, which arcs all the way to now there's a Cypress Lake Center for the Arts. Right. And the, one of the first things I can remember seeing there was Jesus Christ Superstar. How did that all come about? You were an English teacher? I was an English teacher. I, I was actually in drama class at Cyprus when I was a student there. Oh, OK. See, I in, didn't realize you were a student. In the 70s. Oh, sure, okay. sure. That makes perfect sense. And there was another legendary drama teacher there who I had the great fortune uh, to learn from. And at that time, though, the school had no, no theater, no auditorium. 
plays were done in the gymnasium. Oh, like middle school style. Exactly like middle school. That's right. There was a very narrow stage with no wings, you know, one row of lights, no curtain. I mean, it, it was it was a hard place to do a play. But she did it. This is Jean Ball I'm talking about. Okay. And, and uh, she did incredible productions and that that finished me off. You know, from that point on, I was going to be around stages. And so what role did you play in the uh, early days of like I guess they built a theater? Because when I remember going there in like 88, 89, right, there was right. an actual theater. You were in part of that That's groundwork? Exactly right. Yeah. I, they, um, they decided they were going to build an auditorium for, the, for the, uh, most of the high schools, the ones that didn't have one, um, because it was just a necessity as the schools got larger. And so they built an auditorium at Cyprus and I volunteered uh, to take over the drama classes. And they were more than happy. Well, step right up because I gave, had to give up the yearbook. Um, oh, I can I see doing, you loving that. Which I was yeah. doing in the early days. And then I said, well, OK, you'll be the drama teacher. Hmm. You know, I, I've learned, I've gleaned from your Facebook uh, posts and stuff that you uh, uh, really love the sta- – you know, you mentioned in your bio stagecraft, you know, the being right. being in the wings, being right. backstage, doing the light, stuff like that. Exactly. Um, how does that, do you think, inform the way you connect to music and the way it affects people? Because part of that – is what people are hearing. And I think that kind of connects between what we're tapping into for this show and your experience as a person. I think it probably really does inform how I listen to music. Um, And it actually informs how I experience pretty much everything else. When I was a, a kid in high school, my father and my brother and I built a house by hand that we were going to live in. And from that moment on, I look at the architecture of things, how doors are constructed, how windows work. The same is for music. Once I realized, you know, when an orchestra has to, to set up, it's the chairs, it's the music stands, it's the light for the music stands, it's the extension cords for the lights for the music stand, it's the taps for the music stand, uh, the sound mixing, the snakes, the uh, everything you have to do in order for things to be heard. The same for movie making, for video production, all of the the, the technical qualities of making art absolutely fascinate me, and I tried to infect other people with that. With that, and I had a good time at that Cypress with the stagecraft course. You know, it's funny. I, I sometimes try to force myself to look at the world around me through that lens, like. You know, just the way curbs are constructed as you drive exactly. through downtown. Someone's looking exactly. at that and thinking, oh, that has such great – you know what I mean? Like everything has context if you see it through yes. the right lens. Absolutely. Uh, what was the first music you owned yourself that you chose to purchase? The, 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 well, what happened the way – the first music I received was um, in response to a Christmas wish I had made and I received records that I had heard about. Um, on the school bus uh, or other places, and I, I got um, the soundtrack to 2001 oh, to right. the film, right? Because okay. I had to have that. And I got Alice Cooper's album, Billion Dollar Babies. Okay. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a kid. Um, I don't know. I'm 12 or 13 or however old you are. And that's what I had asked for. And I was astonished that I got it and thrilled and didn't want to open any other presents. Um, but yeah, that was that was the beginning of the record collection. Okay, let's uh, let's go to your first song choice then, okay. and um, uh, tell us what it is, and then you decide if you want to preface it with a story or have us listen to it, uh, etc. Well, it's quite a song that we're starting with the ELP, right? Is that uh, yes. the first one? Yes. Yeah, okay. 
Um, I, I discovered this um, at 4-H camp. Okay. As, and that's what you can imagine. Is it's a week of 4-H'ers in the summertime. Gwen leaves Monday you for know. 4-H. Oh, oh that's <laughs> great. OK. OK. So, you know, and the kids are in cabins and, and, and so on. And uh, I was uh, what's called a senior in the 4-H program. When you get to be 13, they move you up and you take on some leadership responsibilities. And the leadership responsibility given to me, in addition to being a, you know, cabin counselor or whatever, was to do the, the, the wake-up for everybody in the mornings. Okay. Right? And it, Camp Cloverleaf. That's where she's uh, going, man. Is, it's the best place. It's so great. <laughs> That's crazy. So I love Camp Cloverleaf. So they have a little rec hall. They have uh, a PA system inside so you can play records and there's a microphone for, you know, announcements and skits and whatever. And you can switch at this time. This is in the in the early 70s. You could switch the PA system to the outside address system. Mm-hmm. And they had these big Cold War era yeah, like horns. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> but they were enormous, you know. And um, so they're aimed out towards the cabins on each side and they're big enough so that the throw reaches the adult cabins all the way down to the lakeside. And this is a good distance. This is like football field length. Mm-hmm. And so these are fun. This is a fun little toy and I'm in charge of it. Right. And so the instruction is, so play Reveille, play the, the bugle call, which is, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds, whatever. You do that and then play some other song that you like, a soft rock or an R&B, something people will like and get them moving and get them up on time so we can start the day. Well, that's a great assignment. So, yeah. So um, I don't want to blow it. I play it safe. I only play music that I know everybody will like. So it's Seals and Crofts or it's, you know, Bachman Turner Overdrive or whatever we were listening to that, that I thought could pass muster. And nobody ever wanted to know in advance what it was going to be. Nobody ever screened it. Nobody ever scolded me or raised an eyebrow. It was just, hey, cool. Thanks, Jeff. I'm like, this is me. This is what I'm here for. So I got to pick all that out. So this year, this is 74, I discover that in the back of the, the camp's record collection are all the albums left behind by the adult staff who were mostly college students mm-hmm. doing a summer job. And they would have the weekends off. They would bring their own records. Sometimes they would leave them behind. So in the back of all of the camp songs and the children's songs and the, you know, whatever the equivalent was in those days, I find some adult records or some some popular records that you wouldn't think of suitable for, for children. So there's some Black Sabbath. Hmm, what does this sound like? So you put that on and you go, oh, gosh, they probably don't want me to play that. <laughs> so what's this, Frank Zappa? Oh, no, that's probably not for everybody, so I'll just save that. And then there was this record, Brain Salad Surgery, right? And it's got this painting which I later found out is by H.R. Giger, the, the guy that designed the alien, the alien, the alien yeah. from the Alien movies. And he was a fantastic painter and did all these macabre science fiction-y horror kind of things. But it's got this striking cover and it's called Brain Salad Surgery, which is a – I assume taken from a Dr. John song, which had that phrase in it. But I've never really understood what it means. But – Obviously, this is a record that has to be dealt with. I have to I have to put this on. The first song is a hymn. It's it's uh, it, it's an old poem, a uh, William Blake poem that they've set to music, and it's like uh, I don't know. This is not what I expected. Yeah, you know. And then there's a couple of other songs. There's kind of a, a 
popish song. There's a, a rowdy kind of bar song. And then there's this thing called Carn Evil Nine, which is in three impressions. And it's a science fiction-y horror story. Of, I don't know if it makes any sense, but it's like a, <laughs> it's like a robot intelligence or an AI that takes over from the humans eventually. Uh-huh. And along the way, it describes kind of these images of cultural decay. So this is blowing my mind. Yeah, this I'm, is 1974. I'm, this is 1974. <laughs> I'm 13 years old. You know, I know – I know Seals and Crofts, right? This is this is the music I've been exposed to so far. I said, this is serious stuff. This is big time. So I put it in the back. I'm fine. I'll save that for later. So the night I discovered that, the adults all left the assembly that we were in. Most of them, a couple of them left the assembly we were in, went over to the cafeteria, and they were listening to a little transistor radio. I caught them doing that and asked what was going on. They were listening to the president. Oh. This is Nixon's resignation speech. Okay. I say, can I listen in? And they say, yeah, we think the president's going to resign. And I don't even really understand what a president was exactly. I right. Mean, I knew he was the leader and all that. And I knew there was Watergate going on. I had been kind of fascinated by that process. I had watched some of the hearings but mm-hmm. didn't understand what I was watching. Mm-hmm. But I remember this this wild feeling and watching the faces of the adults – watching how seriously they were taking this because nobody knew what was coming next. Right. Right? And I could see they didn't know what the next day was going to be like. And so I'm listening to this and I'm just kind of flipping out. I'm a, I'm a little kid getting a chance to sit in with the adults for what's obviously a historic moment. And when it was over, we all just went back over to the rec hall and, you know, played the sweet records or the – the Bee Gees or whatever, you know, and, and it was just surreal. So the next morning, I'm feeling like, you know, things are coming a little unglued. Yeah, the, the, rules, know, the, the, rules, the rules are... The rules are uncertain. So how about I play this song? <laughs> how about I play this song I had found? Let's see what happens. So I play Carnival 9. Carn Evil Nine First Impression Part Two from Emerson Lake and Palmer's 1973 album Brain Salad Surgery. It's Jeff McCullough's first song on this episode of Three Song Stories. So, what was Camp Cloverleaf's first impression of that song? Get it? <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. No, seriously, I'm trying to imagine that coming out of one of those old like surplus speakers and oh, just all that getting cranked into that it, one big cone. And it was one of the finest moments ever. <laughs> I, it was just as great as you can imagine. And I was kind of thinking, well, we'll see what we get. You know, and you know what? I got a, I got a couple of, uh, hey, what was that? But nobody said, are you nuts or that was weird or anything. It was, it was just interesting curiosity. I thought, are you kidding? I got away with it. But listen to that music. Is that the 70s? Oh, yeah. All over the place? Yeah. I mean, uh, this was really the first I had ever heard of progressive rock, um, at least in at, at that extent. Um, the length, the complexity, the use of synthesizers that in, in, in a way that's not just a novelty. Yeah. It wasn't just a beep you know, or a cool space sound or something. Um, that was, there was a polyphonic synthesizer in there. I mean he was, he was playing chords. He was playing notes. He was there – was, there were synthetic drums in there too, which I had never heard oh, before. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and there was the real you – know, the usual stuff. But and I, it was um, – it, it was just, just – shocking to me that 
um, musicians could be so aggressive with something and get such a, an impressive result, something that sounded hard and rocking to me as my 13-year-old self. There's a lot to make fun of with progressive rock. I, I, <laughs> of course. I mean, there's the fog machines and the capes and all, you know, all of course, um, the ego, sure. But um, as far as adventure and being experimental and trying something different, uh, it blew me away. Hmm. Um, what was the fourth song or was there a fourth song that almost made it to your list? And also, if you could sort of deconstruct for me how you whittled. I want to know your process. Well, um, I'm not sure about a fourth song. I, there may be – I had 21 I had narrowed it down to. Okay. Um, and I believe I had asked you if we could, if we could yeah, you know, yeah. squeeze 24 in. <laughs> uh, you, you declined and told me to do the work. I said um, that's exactly yeah. what I said. <laughs> and, and so I did. Um, some of the ones I left out um, – there was a Patty Griffin song, Please Don't Let Me Die in Florida, which every Floridian should listen to. There was um, there was some Johnny Cash songs. There was um, – there was – I think uh, there was a Springsteen song. I, you know, I don't know. There's um, – uh, we were talking before about the guy with the 24,000 CD collection. Yeah, Tom you know? Right. Um, I, I have that many songs in my head, I think, and um, – and they all speak to me. How big is your collection? How is it collected or what, how do you listen to music these days? I, I, I still have um, maybe six or 700 LPs, which is about half of what I had at the peak. I gave a lot away to students. Yeah. Um, I could see you doing that little, yeah. little uh, infections. E- exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I um, – at the, at the time that I uh, started to get serious about collecting CDs, you know, there was this period of transition where – I would buy some on LPs that I was serious about and I would buy some on CDs if I needed it for convenience. Like mm-hmm. if I knew I was going to be playing it uh, at a party or at a show or something, I would always get the CD because it was easier to deal with. And then eventually I stopped buying the LPs and once once I committed to that, I didn't feel a need to curate and collect them anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, I just let kids come over and say, yeah, take what you want. I'll, I'll get it on CD later. Um and uh, it it went down by about half, but do you I still have them today. Are you an audiophile? I mean, do you have like you know really nice speakers that you listen to them through? Really nice headphones? Oh, oh yes, uh, that doesn't <laughs> surprise me. Yeah. Oh, oh yes, I'm I'm pretty serious about that, and I caught that bug from some other people, and it's never gone away. What about like uh, streaming stuff, Pandora, and uh, you know, hey Alexa, play me Emerson Lake and Palmer. I, I don't do any of that. Uh, my kids are all over that. Um, they're experts at it, and I'm just not. I I do use my phone um, to listen to music in the car. Um, that's about as like you as have hip like, as I can. You get. have like you've 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 converted CDs to music that's on your phone. That's right. Gotcha. And, and I I buy them digitally now, so you know it, it's all piled up in there. Um, mixtapes. I, I, I normally ask, oh. do you make mixtapes? I actually phrased it here. I have a feeling it would be silly to ask if you ever make <laughs> mixtapes. So uh, where, where, where did oh. they fit? Seems like that would be so right up your alley. Mixtapes were the best. Um, I love getting them. I really love giving them. Um, and I, I, I made hundreds of them. Um, sometimes, you know, in, in those days it was – a lot of reasons you would do it. One, just to, to maybe to share with somebody, to introduce somebody, something they were interested in. You'd like, 
hey, you like Jethro Tull? Here, here's the, Jethro Tull's greatest, yeah. you know, deep cuts. These are the ones you really need to know. Yeah. So in the right sequence. And you would, of course. you would agonize over the right sequence. And then, of course, the other essential use of mixtapes is, is courtship. You know, it's, it's to woo each other. And so I did plenty of that too. Um, there's a real art to it and I kind of miss that dimension of music. I suppose people can make playlists for each other now and, and maybe do. I don't know. I hope so. You, your, your kids haven't filled you in on whether that happens or not. No, no, I, I don't. I really don't know. Did you do the uh, like the cover art and the you know you'd list all the all the songs on the back of the tape and everything, or was it pretty much just the with tape? the runtime? Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, um, very meticulous, very curated. What was your first concert? My first. Actual concert. It wasn't like just you know band that happened to be at the fair. You know, exactly. Like that. Yeah, yeah. No, we're talking um, rock and roll. It, or you know, it was Uriah Heep and Kiss at the Hollywood Sportatorium, Hollywood, Florida. Hollywood, Florida Sportatorium. It was a big concrete block box that was a, a wretched place to listen to music to. But I saw a hundred concerts. There. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. What was the craziest concert experience you can recall? Oh, the crazy – well, OK. That would be Tampa 1977, uh, Led Zeppelin. Ah. Uh, and it was – they were the only act and, you know, we arrived bright and early. I think we got there about 9.30 in the morning <laughs> at the stadium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they wouldn't let us in. So we spent the day, you know, bumping around record stores and, and music stores and playing synthesizers and uh, getting chased out of different ones. Then went back to the stadium when they finally were going to let us in, sat there blazing in the sun all day. It was raining on and off. It was kind of miserable. The band finally comes out. They play four songs and I'm – you know, this is this is my peak musical moment of my life. I'm seeing Led Zeppelin. I'm seeing the one – the concert I've dreamed of seeing since I could imagine it. And then the rain just really lets loose and they have to quit. They have to say, we're going to take a break, but we'll be back. But everybody's like, nobody's in the mood for it at that point, right. you know? And uh, I, I don't exactly know the sequence of things, but things went really bad, really fast. And they canceled the show and they um, chased everybody out and we had to go home wet, miserable and, you know, unfulfilled. Do you remember which four songs you got to hear? Uh, they weren't the ones I were there. I was <laughs> yeah, there for you know. The, it was yeah. like you know the you know they might have played the rain song. I don't. That would have been appropriate, but it, it, maybe celebration day. You know, it, it yeah. just they, they were, were nice. Just they, up. they were warming up exactly. Yeah. We we weren't into. It didn't get. I didn't get my twenty five minute dazed and confused. Did you, get a, did you get like a rain check or anything back then, or is that just no? Like, and this and this I regret. I regret so much that I, um, I sent you could send in your your stub, your check, your ticket stub, and get a check back. For your ten dollars, you could get a refund. So I did that, and I got a check back from Led Zeppelin, and I didn't and you, frame and you it. Cashed it. I yeah. cashed it. <laughs> I can't believe it. It's the great regret of my life. But oh. I still have the ticket. What's the furthest you ever traveled for a concert? That's a good question. I don't think I've ever left the state, but I certainly drove from Astero to Jacksonville more than once. So what that's is that? Yeah, that's six, that's, six that's, seven hours. That's a hike. Yeah, it's yeah, a day, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's uh, move on to song number two. All right, all right. Uh, song two is 
Um, it's a Jackson it's, Brown. It's Jackson. Okay. All right. So a little story here. This is um, 1978. I'm a junior in high school. I'm 17 years old. This song comes out and it's everything that that I, I'm interested in, right? It's, it's a song about roadies. It's about the backstage life. Mm-hmm. It's about setting up for the whole record actually. The whole album is about life on the road. It's about what it's like to be on the tour bus, to be in the hotel room, to be backstage, to be on stage, you know, performing. It's a wonderful record. It's it's unlike anything else uh, he ever did. And it's the only album of his that I ever um, fell in love with. And I did fall in love with this record. And this song is – it's too tied together. It's, it's the loadout and stay, which is the old Maurice and the Zodiacs, you know – sing-along song that everybody loves. But but the loadout is kind of introspective. It, it's, it passed for a deep song, you know, to me at the time because it was reflective that way. Um, and I loved it. The next year, um, and I'm still working on the yearbook at, at, at those, as, as, as a student in those days, we had this idea to sell yearbooks by having a slideshow have an assembly and we would spend two weeks and take a picture of almost every kid in the school we could find, you know, just clowning around. We'd put them all on projectors and, and project them and we'd put music behind them. And everybody went nuts because they'd see their friends. They'd see themselves. Yeah. And they'd cheer and, yay, that makes you want to buy a yearbook. And it was fun. And so the, uh, one of my best friends, one of my concert buddies, uh, got the idea that he would do another slideshow. For, for the end of the year, just for the seniors, and it would be like the story of their four years in high school. And he did that, and he set it to music that was appropriate to that class, and I was really moved by it. So the next year comes around, and I get permission to do this for my senior class. So obviously, I'm an Alice Cooper fan. There's going to be Schools Out. It's going to be in here. I put a bunch of other songs in here, but one of the one of the key songs that people remember is the loadout and stay, which I put in there. And so so many of the lyrics are about things that people do. Like there's a line about um, watching Richard Pryor videos. <laughs> so I have a picture. So I, I, I sync that up in the slideshow with students going to a Richard Pryor movie. There's a movie poster behind them, right? And there's the band on the bus. And I have a picture of the high school marching band getting on the bus, you know, and I just do this with every line of the song, and it's, you can just feel the room, you can feel them feeling like this song is really about us. It's a metaphor for for this journey we've been on together, and we're saying goodbye to each other, and then when Stay comes around, you know, which is the, the second song, um, everybody starts crying, and it's great, it's just it's just wonderful, you know peak slideshow moment. Um, so that's why that's what the song means to me. I, I then used the song as a teacher later on, teaching other students how to make a slideshow for their class. Yeah. You know, here's here's how I lined it up. You can find a song that means the same for your class and line up line by line. You know, uh, my daughter in, in eighth grade, she's going to be the historian for the um, Junior Thespians, which means it's her job to put together the slideshow. There you go. I'm going to have her listen to it. I love it. (laughs) All right, let's hear it. This is Jackson Brown's The Loadout and Stay from his 1977 album, Running on Empty. You're listening to Three Song Stories. It's biography for music. 
you know, it occurs to me listening to that, hey, yeah, knocked out of the park as far as, you know, the slideshow song. Oh, um, yeah. But B, because of the way music and memory works, I mean, some of your fellow classmates probably think about that slideshow when they hear those songs. I hope so. You I know? certainly do. I mean, because that's just how it works. Right. And that's right. so it's, cool to it's think. Glued in. This song still is, is probably the most evocative of high school for me, just for that one day. Yeah. You know? No, it's amazing. Did you ever consider a career as a roadie? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, sure I did. I can I, see I, that. Sure I did. Yeah, I, I, it sounds pretty great. What um, about just you know theater full time in, instead of education? I thought of that too. Yeah, yeah but but I, it's so much more fun to do theater with kids. Yeah, um, then you get the best of both worlds. Yeah, no, it's you know I, I was. I was teleported back to about two weeks ago because the uh, the theater program at, at Dunbar that Gwen's a part of had their eighth grade send off and they had a slideshow and those kids oh, and they're all just great. blubbering and the teachers blubbering <laughs> and, and I'm thinking Perfect. man you know it's just that's that's so cool it's the best so it's I totally best. I totally understand what you mean um, are there any TV so, uh, theme songs that you can sing on demand you don't have to do it but Good you know heavens. you know you, you, you're a, a consumer of media so that I can sing on demand. I could probably and won't do it, but probably could sing the "All in the Family" oh yeah theme song yeah because because <laughs> those lyrics were pretty hilarious <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah and done ironically so it really and done and done live in the studio they they re-recorded it several times oh series. really yeah there there are little differences each season oh really yeah. Oh, that's yeah. fascinating. I had no idea. So that's yeah. little tidbits that we like yeah. to learn. Let's talk about uh, technology and the way it's changed the way not only we access music, but I think there's a feedback loop in that the way we access music is changing the way bands make music. Oh, sure. Can you sure, con- I think connect so. that? I think, you're, you, I you think would probably so. be good at reflecting upon that notion. Well, um, I, I, like, um, like in the song we just listened to. Um, there's there's some pretty heavy synthesizer work um, that's in there, but they had learned to detune and bend notes and and make it sound more like uh, an analog instrument, which adds a nice dimension to the song, but also really locks it into the late seventies. You know, you don't hear that now, not that way. What came after that, um, the early eighties synth era. You know, you can just hear it in your head. When you just hear the word, you can just imagine yeah, what yeah. all that was. There was a there was a somebody did an analysis of like there was some year eighty three eighty four where every single uh, song that had hit the Billboard number one spot had prominent use of a synthesizer. Um, that has has almost faded now. Nobody thinks of synthesizers or not. They're either used or not used, but. It's it's unremarkable. It's just another tool. Um, drum machines became that way for a long time. You know, the 808 thing was – it became how songs were written for 10 years or more, you know, because it the technology enabled people to do things they could never do before, much easier than they could ever do before, and more immediately than they could ever do before. You didn't have to – you know, get ten people to help you move a kit. You know, you could just sit at your desk and do it. I think that when I watch my children make music, and they're both musicians, my daughter put on an EP just this week. When I know I, that because when, of Facebook. Because of Facebook. <laughs> when I watch them work, it just it blows me away at how how they can go from the creative 
impulse to saying I want to sing or I want to make a music to start making it in seconds. Mm-hmm. It's, they just whip out their phone and they can actually start actually doing things. It isn't this elaborate um, kind of stagecrafty approach where you have to have a whole crew necessarily. Obviously, you still do that at a certain level, but you don't have to do that at the initial level. You can get an amazing result just by sitting around and, and thinking it up. It it It's a very exciting moment, I think, for musicians. Do you think there's something lost along the way? Well, sure. I, I, I worry that people forget how great a great guitar solo can be. You know, like David Lindley on the song we just listened to is a mad, insane guitar player. And he also did the, the second falsetto vocal, which cracks me up every time. <laughs> um, Cracked Richard Richard oh, too. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so hilarious. And, you know, he's such a goofball. So, I, I, you know, sure, I worry that uh, that some of those things get lost, but I, I'm not worried about it too much because yeah. I'm, I'm more hyped up over the, the, the democratic idea that more people can make music than ever before and the immediacy of it. You know, you can have an idea and have a song on the internet in the same hour. Yeah. And, and if people do the, it all the time. And if it has the right hook, <laughs> it could go from it, it, 10 to 1,000 to 100,000 people exactly. in an hour too. It's amazing. Hmm. Okay. Is there any band that you've re- recently discovered uh, that um, our listeners might not hear? Or do you discover – how often do you discover new I music? Just, I discover stuff all the time. Okay. My, my children teach me so much and then – you know, you just bump into things along the way. Um, you know, if, if you haven't heard any, um, you know, Pakistani rap music, you need to. Because, I have not because it's quite a scene, and 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 there's some amazing things going on. But um, the person I'm most struck by lately is Alan Stone, who apparently everybody knows about, but me. Not um, me. Uh, you'll in, you'll have a wonderful evening if, if you just okay. if you just dial that in. Um, more roots, more Americana. He's a guitar player. Does a lot of covers Sounds of, like my, of classics. Uh, my oh my gosh, what a voice! What a sense of the guitar. You know. So if I was ever worried about you know losing the roots, this is the kind of kid that that you know he's not a kid anymore, but he's a young man. But he um, he gives me hope for that. That tradition is all still there. Is there a modern, mainstreamly popular band that you're a fan of, like stuff that's right there in the face of culture? I probably should have an answer to that. I'm not sure I do. I don't even – You don't even know I, what's I, on that I, list. I, I don't honestly even <laughs> really know. I mean I suppose I suppose um, Kendrick, you know, is, yeah. is – you know, obviously there's a major talent right. for sure and, and – uh, I, but I don't think I can understand it the same way that the young people can understand it now. I'm, I'm always I'm looking back on things, and he's in the moment now, and he's speaking to them. So it, I can watch it and admire it, even though I don't think I don't think I feel it the same way they do. But I certainly admire it. All right, let's move on to song three. Okay. Oh, right, and that's actually another throwback song. This is uh, this is Muddy Waters. Um, okay, this is – I came upon this one maybe a year after Jackson. This is my first year in college, University of Florida in Gainesville. And um, don't have a lot of money, but I discover that Gainesville has a used record store. And they will buy the albums that I don't want anymore. I can get store credit and pick up new ones. Well, I had a 
couple thousand records. So I'm like, I'm in business. You know, it's like a lending library. Yeah, yeah. So I just circulated you had all that credit. To I play circulated with. records in there like crazy. And one day I come across this one. It's a came out in the late seventies. Um, it's a Muddy Waters record. It's got a bunch of um, old classic blues players on it, but it was produced by Johnny Winter. Um, so it has a uh, a pretty fresh, you know, modern recording sound to it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know Muddy Waters music. I, I said, this is a name I'm supposed to know, but I don't know a single song. Yeah. Right? So I take it back. I put it on. And I had a pretty decent stereo, Pretty at least by college standards of the day, I had a pretty nice stereo. And so I, I put it on and halfway through the first song, I'm like, well – I have a new job. I have to find out everything I can about <laughs> about Delta Blues, about Chicago Blues, about Roots music, about you know. And then and then the next day, the, I listen to this record, and and I'm overwhelmed by the amount of love that's in it. You know, some of these are re-recorded songs, some are new songs. Um, the 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 players are just laying into it, and but they're obviously having a lot of fun doing it. There isn't that. It doesn't have that constrained and meticulous feel, you know, like when something's – they've taken 10 years to make it. They just whip these songs off because they're that good and they had a ball and it's – oh, I love it so much. So the next day, I harness the entire power of the University of Florida library system uh-huh. and I learn all about Lead Belly and uh, Lightning Hopkins and – Sunhouse and Muddy Waters and BB King and I'm into stacks and Volt and chess records and I'm like ah so so it was I saw, I got a master's degree in the blues immediately upon hearing this record did that derail your educational process at all I don't want to talk about that but it's <laughs> oh. what what I learned is an important part of my education okay well um, uh, let's hear it this is uh, uh, Deep Down in Florida by Muddy Waters from the 1977 album Hard Again I can't say 1977 today you're listening to Three Song Stories did you ever get to see Muddy Waters live? I never did no? It, it, it's a a real heartbreak because he was definitely on the bucket list. And you see any of those other blues greats? Probably have time. Uh, I, I, I saw a few. Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, the, the day that Muddy Waters died, um, we saw Ray Charles, my wife and I. Oh, really? Where? In, in Virginia. Um, and uh, it, that, uh, that was a, a nice consolation there a little bit. But, yeah. uh, but you know, that – man, this, this song uh, – Muddy's my favorite, and this song might be one of my favorite Muddy songs. And I associate it obviously so much with the city of Gainesville. Sure. Um, in in fact, for years, all through college and all years after that, whenever I would uh, come home and drive back to Gainesville, you'd have to use it as theme music. I would put the song on as I was pulling into Archer Road and, yeah. and driving back to campus. And that's that's the sound of arriving in Gainesville to yeah. me. And I did it for my children too when I first took them to Gainesville. You know, I lived in Gainesville for about a year. And so I can – I was – I was in that with a, with you. We'll there go to during, Newberry sometime, yeah, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, no, li- living that with you. Um, w- uh, when was the last time you bought music that ha- had a physical form? Uh, an LP, or just yeah, uh, LP, CD, anything other uh, than you know, an iTunes download or whatever it is you do. 
Um, well, the, the last LP we got was uh, Peter Gabriel's So. I remember that. Um, and I remember – because I remember being a little disappointed when I got home, you know, thinking, I'm going to want to cart this around. So I wish I'd gotten the CD instead. And then – um, the last CD I can remember getting was a Bob Marley, um, massive compilation, four CD, beautifully kind of the um, greatest, beautiful thing, but a beautifully curated little collection, including some outtakes and alternate takes, and that at the time I had a big, big old conversion van that had a big CD changer in it. I put all four discs in and. Didn't take them out for two years. <laughs> it was just – it was Bob that Marley was the all the band. time, all the time. And my kids grew up with that music and they still love it today. And it's just – man, talk about speaking to me. But that might have been my fourth song, a Bob Marley song. Yeah. You ever see Bob Marley live? No. I saw no. the Wailers yeah. after he died yeah. and that was a huge day for me. I was I – was, just walking on air, but obviously, yeah, obviously, it was missing a very important part of the band. Did you ever do any DJing either through like a a record? Uh, I mean, like a, a radio studio, or just you know for crowd control reasons, you know, like at a wedding or something? Sure, choosing I, I, music? I was a DJ in high school. Um, okay, at, at started at 4-H camp, you know, and DJing there in the first days consisted of. Playing one song on the one well, turntable. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'd call that. You know, it's, it's like <laughs> necessarily. Okay. Everybody just hold still while I load the next record. You know, and it kind of breaks the momentum. But um, no, I got a couple of turntables. Some buddies of mine. We we started doing uh, dances and 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 stuff uh, in the summertime. And had I built a lighting kit to go with it. You know, by hand, it was a real beast. It's like a paying it, gig for you then? Was this like well, side work? Well, it didn't cover my costs. Well, but it was it was my hobby. Sure, yeah, yeah. I had some big, big, massive JBL cabinets that I carted around everywhere, and um, had a flash pot. I mean, we we were serious. Okay, we were okay. serious about this. And um, yeah, did did that uh, all through high school. Huh. I, I, I we we have a simpatico ness because I am the technical director for the Fort Myers Film Festival, which means I'm up in the booth, and so I'm the one who's controlling when the lights are doing there what, when the go. mics are doing what, the what best. songs are being played, and I love that behind the scenes ness too. So definitely on the same page there. Um, what would be an album uh, that you would choose if it was the only one you got to listen to forever? I, I really hate that question. That's, well, that's, tough. That's, that's tough. That's so tough. Oh, the only one forever. It's okay. Pink Floyd, wish you were here. I, I can't not have that one. So that's got to be the answer. That I, 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 I yeah. <laughs> um, Is there a song that you will always turn off if it comes on the radio while you're in the car? Either A for stylistic reasons or B for like memory association reasons. Well, that's a much better question. A song I always skip. Hmm. I don't know. I I don't I don't. Maybe in a God of Vida, just because I'm not in the mood for the the ordeal. You know, it's a great song, but you only need to do it so many times. 
and it's on my phone, so I do have to skip it every now and then. But it's on your phone. <laughs> it's on my phone, but you know, it does have like a six-minute drum solo in the yeah. middle, and you're just not always in the mood. Is it true that in the early days of the internet, you had sort of an email group that you would talk to and solicit information from and compile information about? I heard this through a mutual friend. Where did you hear that? Well, from, yes, from, that, from that, Mr. Chris. That totally <laughs> happened. Yes. That's like Facebook before it, there was it, Facebook. It was, you were like crafting social media, like, I'm going to make this happen. That is exactly what it was. It, it was a group of people and I would send out like a set of questions or prompts and I would collect everybody's responses. And this would be like the 90s, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. This is the 80s and 90s and I, yeah. and I, would, and I would send it out um, anonymized, you know, so, so people knew that people in the group had made these responses but they couldn't could pick exactly track it back to which who said one. What. Right. So there was a little protection and oh it was it was so much fun. It was hilarious. I know? wish I could have been in on it. Oh it was hilarious. <laughs> I, I I lost a lot of those during a uh, hard drive disaster, and I, I really miss it. Because hmm. it was some fun times. Um how long have you been in administration? Uh a school district administrator? Yeah. Um or when did you leave teaching? I, I, I left teaching uh, in the late 90s and I've been an administrator ever since. Do you so, miss the classroom? Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Every every time I go back to a school, like I, we just finished commencement season and it, it hits you every time. You know, you, you see the kids and you see the energy um, and I, I – of course I miss that. That's – those were the best days of my life hmm. uh, were teaching. Any final thoughts? This is so much fun. I can't stand it and I, I'm so glad you asked me to do this. Well, I want to thank you very much. Um, it's been a treat. Uh, absolutely. Um, Jeff McCullers is the most interesting man in Estero, probably in Lee County and maybe even all of Southwest Florida. Jeff, thanks for sharing your memories. Thank you so much. We make this podcast in the WGCU studios on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Our show is co-created and produced by Richard Chin Kui. Our online content producers are Tara Calligan and Anna Bejarano. Our executive producer is Chris Duffus. Our theme music was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. Before our parting tune, I want to remind our listeners that we want to hear from you. What song takes you back directly to a memory and to a story? Once you've got one, just record the story onto your phone and send it to mysongstory at wgcu.org. We want to get our listener voices onto future episodes of this podcast. For my parting tune this week, I'm jumping back to the late 1980s at Cypress Lake High School. There was a benefit concert of some sort. One of the bands played a few Pink Floyd covers, which was for me my first introduction to the band, beyond maybe some early memories of hearing another brick in the wall at the roller rink when I was far too young to know what on earth I was hearing. Well, I was blown away by this high school student rock band's performance and so started perking up my ears toward Pink Floyd, which until then would have been pretty far outside of my normal musical listening paradigm. So this is one of the songs I can definitely remember them playing. It's Comfortably Numb from Pink Floyd's renowned 1979 album, The Wall. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. When they would do the fundraiser at WMNF, you know, it was when the phone lines used to light up and they'd say, don't let it up at home, let it up here. <laughs> <laughs> it took me back.